Amina Kerr. And I'm Maggie Breton. Welcome to Deal With It, our podcast series on business and deals. In this episode, we share the talk Ina did at the International Careers Day at Erasmus Rotterdam University. Thanks to Riz Makina for the invitation. And thank you for joining us. If you want to just talk about yourself for like five minutes, the floor is all yours. And then, guys, we can make this more of a Q&A session. Uh, have fun, guys. Uh, ask Ina as many questions as you can. She has a wealth of knowledge to share. We gathered a first round investment and started 18 months ago EOS Deal Advisory. We are around 30 people at the moment, and we are on an interesting growth trajectory. So looking to expand to other countries and, and continue doing what we're doing because we're really liking it. The market is really liking it, which is uh, reconforting. Thank you very much for that, Ina. Uh, we already have a very ambitious question from Mirai, I believe. Mirai, you want to go ahead? Uh, hi. I was really curious uh, how old you were when you decided to, um, like, continue this path. Like, how were you sure that you wanted to be in finance and the private equity field? So my first three years I was doing in their consulting department, which was like a mix of a little bit. Uh, and plus, I was in France, so I did my eight first years in Paris. So it was a bit of everything you can get a hold of type of, you know, department, anything that happened. Until the first time I did a deal. And my first deal was the EADS one. Uh, I'm probably too young to remember that. <laughs> but when the Spanish, the German, and the French uh, aerospace companies became together to become the EADS. And that was the first integration I did. And at that exact minute when I did that integration, I said, oh, my goodness, I want to spend the rest of my life doing that. That was it. Thank you for the question, Mirai. Uh, we'll move on to Dana now. Hi. Uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, because we have some already perspectives yesterday about uh, corporate and entrepreneurship life. Uh, so what advantages of entrepreneurial life you see compared to the corporate life that you had before? Well, it's very different. I think that's the first conclusion, that both of them have pros and cons. I think for me, on a personal basis, there are two things for me which count as a lot of the big pros, which I'm really enjoying being an entrepreneur. The first one is the freedom to actually do what you believe in and what you want to. So I think when you're in a big machine, you don't feel that what you're doing has any impact. And that's just not for me, but also for our employees. In a small startup company, anything you do has a direct relation to your company being successful. And you can see it, right? A new client that you bring, a new conversation that you have, it actually has such an impact on what you're doing. And that's such a positive thing. The second thing, and probably most important thing for me, is the amount of stuff I've learned in the last year and a half. I've learned more in the last 18 months than I've learned in the last 10 years. Your growth is, from a professional point of view, is absolutely enormous. It's not easy. But uh, you're always looking at new things. You're finding out new ways of doing things. You're, my network my network has grown a hundred times in the last uh, uh, 18 months. So from a professional point of view, the growth is much quicker, I would say. Since you have mentioned that you have worked in a big company and then started your own startup, I was w- wondering, do you think that market in Netherlands is easy to enter and operate since there are so many monopolists and big companies? If you think very coldly about what we've done, right? So we think, we thought, well, it's going to be a good idea to build a competitor for the big four on deals. 
Yeah. You're thinking very coldly. You would never do it, right? Like, how mad are you, <laughs> right? You're going to be company with literally hundreds of thousands of people in more than 150 countries. Why would you do that? I would look in a different way. I would look at, is the market ready to have a new competitor? Is the market ready to have something new in that subsector that you're looking at? And so for except or for deals, we thought, yes, you know what? The market is quite ready. And we interviewed several clients who kindly gave their time to us while we were planning years. And we asked them really interesting questions. We asked, what do you don't like in advisors right now? What do you do different? Is it a price problem? Is it a quality problem? Is it, uh, what would you want different in them? Why are you so tired of your advisors? Why are you always criticizing them? And, uh, and we got this really good understanding that the market was ready for something new. Uh, and then we went anyway. So you cannot have just this view of, well, is the market, you know, are they going to accept competitors because they're already big companies? That doesn't mean anything. I think in advisory, especially on more the consulting side, I think you will be the era of the boutiques. I think the private equities really like it. I think the corporates really like it. You get special attention. You get, when we were doing a project, it's full focus from us. I'm not trying to do 10 other t- things at the same time. So I think the companies like the quality and, and the difference that's getting for it. So you cannot be put down just because the market is full of big companies. Thank you. Okay. Axel? Yeah, hello. Hello. So, yeah, I have some questions. So what is the necessary skill for us as a student, you know, with no experience in consulting or deal adversary to understand and get into this industry the right way? Because cause I heard about this stereotype about consulting industry that, you just have to be creative and master your presentation skills in a PowerPoint, and then that's it, you know. So what is the necessary skill to get into the industry? That's a very good question because we keep asking ourselves that all the time. Uh, For me, and that's an opinion coming from EOS, uh, I'm not sure every consulting company would agree with us, and especially in deals, for me, it's curiosity. You know, when I hear about a company, when I start looking at a company, be it with data that I already got. So there is a data room, there is a, an information memorandum, there is something already there, or there is no data. We have to start from zero because, for example, or maybe our client's looking at a public company. For me, it's curiosity. I always look at a company and think, oh, this is really interesting. I want to know more. I always look at a document looking for weird things, right? Oh, this number looks bit odd you know why is growth margins gone down for three years and suddenly gone up madly with no explanations although prices went down for weird things not a good word but things that look odd and then i'm interested in digging more finding out more why why does this sound weird why does this not add up and i think that curiosity makes it a breaking news because if you're just running a process you actually not bringing a lot to your client if you're just doing Excel tables and putting, you know, sales went up because they sold more type of comments, what are you actually adding? Did you really understand that business? Did you really understand that drives it? Well, how does it make money? I think that inner curiosity, and it's interesting because we're putting a study case, a study case for recruiting to test that curiosity because I think if fundamentally that person doesn't have that in them, they're really going to really struggle to do deals because deals is like peeling an onion, but you have to be curious to peel that onion, to go deeper, to look at it differently. So for me, that would be the most important skill. Thank you. All right. We got Aslan up next. 
yes, hello. I had a question more on client-based. So I wanted to know that, as we know, there are different types of clients. Do we have any, do you use a particular approach for each type of client or you have a general approach that you use for all clients? Now, we do have different approach. So first of all, if a client's a corporate or a client's a private equity, they have very different views of the world and they want very different things. So we will definitely deal with them differently because private equities want the things as quick as possible uh, in a very direct way. So, for example, private equities hate slides. You know, most private equities tell me, you know, can you just send three bullet points in an email and then your Excel sheets? I don't want any of the, you know, don't make it beautiful for me. Don't waste your time. So so they are very direct. They want to go to the, you know, to the point very directly. Where corporates, they do have a lot of steer codes and op codes and, and, and a lot of governance rounding them where PACs have to go and get approved. And so in that sense, they follow a much more process-driven type of, uh, of deal uh, making uh, where so we, we will focus a little bit different when we're working for them. So we do have different approach uh, to, to our clients. All right. Vladimir? Yeah, you said your uh, team uh, is about 30 people right now, right? Yeah. Uh, I was wondering how did you manage to grow it so quickly in just uh, two or three years since you started? Uh, well, we had a first hard year. Can you imagine? We had COVID on our month five, right? <laughs> and everybody on lockdown. Uh, so we had a first uh, hard months where, well, first good months where we had done our first projects and, and then our pipeline just disappeared. Every single project that we had died uh, last year about this time, maybe a bit earlier, about beginning of April, end of May, end of March, all our projects died and our pipeline died. Uh, again, we were very small at that point, so we were agile enough to do something tangential uh, to deal. So we spent a lot of time doing working capital and cash release projects at that point. And then deals have picked up significantly since October, so which allowed us to grow uh, quite quickly. Um, I think, uh, again, we're very agile. We don't need whole complicated process to recruit people. We... You know, we have a good network of people, too, uh, which we need. We use contractors in our projects. Uh, I think a combination of all that uh, has contributed to our growth. We should have, I feel like we are a year behind, to be honest. I think we should have been 30 this year, about this time. But I think we'll catch up. We still have very ambitious plans uh, to grow in the future and uh, because we see the market is there. You know, the market is liking what we're doing. I think we had a phase where the first phase of clients that we had were clients that knew us, obviously. Because, you know, you're not going to risk moving from a big four to a company that has no brand that you never heard of if you don't know the people that are actually doing your projects. So the first level of clients we had were people that have worked with us before. Now we have a whole wave of new clients which either heard from us from somebody else, which said, oh, they did a really good project. You should give them a call. So people call us or send us LinkedIn messages out of the blue now saying, oh, I heard really good things about you on this project. Do you want to have a conversation? Which is really interesting. Okay. Uh, let's see. Joanna? I was just wondering if you can go back in time. Would you start your company a bit earlier or you still think that your time at one of the before was actually very valuable? for what you do right now? Very good question. Again, we never planned to, to do a startup, so it's, it's a hard question to answer. I think the time in a big four was 
very helpful for me in terms of it, it built my client base. It taught me a lot of what I've done. If I had the choice now, of course, seeing what I'm seeing, I would have definitely started maybe five years earlier because I could see the market has been bubbling for a while, wanting to new alternatives to the big four uh, on, on deals and, and probably I'll have more energy by then. Uh, so I, yeah, I probably would have now knowing, but you know, hindsight is, uh, is a core is great afterwards, but, uh, yeah, probably would have started five years before. Cause again, the, the joy that I have right now and the, the learning, the, the interesting experience is so positive compared to, uh, to my last years that I would have easily traded them for this. Good stuff. Uh, we'll go to Mirai now. I read in your biography that you know so many different languages. So I was curious if this uh, helped you in your career or was it more like a personal interest? It was a personal interest, but it helped me enormously on my career, I have to say. Uh, well, most of the languages, because I ended up living in the places uh, for a long time. Uh, and Or then I married a Dane and then, you know, some of the languages came by, by personal uh, choice. But... Um, uh, they helped me enormously in my career. When I was doing integrations, um, I think the fact that you can go into a company and have coffees with people, you know, the real integrations happen at the coffee machine, hence why online makes it so hard for integration projects. It's, you get the real information on how to have a coffee with somebody at, at their own language. Uh, so it has helped me enormously. I remember we did, I did an integration a few years ago in Italy. It was a family owned business in Florence of all places. And, uh, and speaking to me was such a big difference because I could go in and then have chats with the people there, you know, and understanding a little bit what was in their minds. And, and they were bought by a huge American conglomerate, right? So, and, and I could help shake them a little bit, the, you know, the shock of then, you know, having to report into a company that's in the stock market. And, and, and so it's extremely, it has been extremely helpful. Thank you. Right. Thank you for that response. Uh, Sveta? Yes. So my question to you is, I saw that uh, you have quite a large library. And <laughs> you are an entrepreneur. So, and especially with COVID, but also basically starting out a company completely from the ground as what you're doing. What keeps you motivated and keeps you going? Well, first of all, really enjoying what I'm doing. I think keeps me motivated. Uh, seeing how the clients react to what we're doing, it keeps really motivated. You know, if I have a client or a potential client, as I gave you an example, that writes me an LinkedIn message, say, have you done a really amazing project? Can I speak to you? That, like, motivates me for a whole week, you know. <laughs> and I think working, you know, I think that I'm very resilient. Maggie and I are very resilient. And I think you you need to be when you're an entrepreneur because thought things are not very easy. Even if we had, you know, the shittiest day ever, sorry about the word, uh, we, we will sleep. And then the next morning we'll talk to each other because we would normally talk to each other quite early in the morning. And we'll say, okay, what are we going to do now? Who are we going to call? And we're always on resolution mode. We're always on solution mode. We always say, okay, what are we going to do to solve this? Uh, what are we going to do to make it different? So we're always looking for that. And I think that kind of keeps us going. But it was interesting because if you ask, somebody asked my husband the other day, uh, what is the change? What has he seen the change between me before, you know, I was an entrepreneur and now? And his answering answer made me think a lot. It was an interesting answer. He said that before I spent a lot of time 
talking about, oh, but you know, at work, this person said that, and actually what they meant was that, and this was quite painful, and I spent all this time talking about this gossip at work, and whoever said what, and what they actually meant, and he said my conversation completely changed, my conversation about, oh my goodness, I met this client today, and they told me that, and I learned about this company, and they're doing this, so my my conversation moved from an internal conversation about my company to an external conversation about clients, and he said that Thing, it has been radical different because all this internal worry is just gone away because Maggie and I, we get extremely well along. Uh, any problems we have with our employees, we solve them very quickly. So that kind of disappeared off my life. And I think that's quite positive. That I think is, you know, from a mood point of view is, is uplifting. And that would go to Vitska. Yes, thank you. I have a question about the deals process because I read that, especially now within the tech industry, uh, the deals are going very fast and sometimes companies even want uh, that you sp- skip like part of the due diligence or something. Do you also see that trend and do you think that will spread out to other industries as well or do you think that in the end it will go back to like normal and doing the whole process of a deal? Good question. I think some things have changed. So a year ago, if I was speaking to a company or a private equity and I would have told them, look, they are every, so the companies were telling us that about a year ago and say, well, I cannot really do a deal because, you know, I only do deals when I look people in the eyes, right? And shake their hands. And if I don't do that, I cannot sign a deal. I cannot do a deal. Now, a year later, and, and, and I quote one of my clients last week, say, that's looking the eye. That's good enough. That's good. I can sign it. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, just a closer zoom is doing it at the moment. Um, I think what's pushing the deals to happen uh, that quick, very quickly is there is an excess of cash in the world, unfortunately, or fortunately. Don't know. The PE is carrying a lot of cash in the moment. They haven't done as many acquisitions last year that they wanted to do. So they are bringing and paying crazy prices for companies that are in the market at the moment. Uh, so that has been what's pushing a little bit, uh, decision making being quick. I think there's a bit of a bubble. Uh, I think due diligence is extremely important. Understanding what the company is about is extremely important. So I don't think that is a process that you should be rushed. So I think this bubble will explode quite quickly as prices, I mean, no, the level of prices that we currently have are not sustainable and we go to more normal levels. Yes, I had a follow up question to that. Is, yeah, sure. Uh, because you say, you said that there's also more um, you can take more responsibilities on but is the degree of personal failure also bigger if you didn't close a deal or did you take that yeah is it personally oh I probably do (laughs) I probably do take it more personally if I if I don't win a project uh, because yes, it's by personal effort onto it I think that one of the characteristics you need to have to be an entrepreneur is, is resilience so we are very resilient. So let's say, that's a really good example, as you said. Let's say, and it happened to us two weeks ago, we lost a really, really big project. It would have been the biggest project we have done today. And we love the company. We, you know when you have a culture fit in the company? And we're like, oh, this is perfect for us. And they, and they took them a long time to decide, and they said, well, we, we think you're too small for this project. Mm-hmm. Which don't, we don't think we are. But again, how can I convince them, Right. And I was literally devastated because I thought it was oh such a good project. But we are very, again, resilient. So we wake up, I suffer, I want to die that day, right? I'm really feeling bad. Next morning, I wake up, and as I said before, I do really early morning calls with Maggie, who's the co-founder of EOS. And we were speaking, I said, okay, what are we going to do? 
Well, they clearly want to do a project with us, not this one, the next one. So how am I going to guarantee I have the next project with them? Right? So we already invited them for coffee. Meg is having a coffee with one of them. I already talked to two of them separately afterwards, you know, because I want to make sure that the next project I don't even want to pitch. They're going to call me and we're going to start. So I lost this one, but I didn't lose the whole thing with this company. They're going to do 10 other deals this year. I lost that one. So it's come, how do you rebound from saying, okay, I lost this project. It was horrible for us, but we was. How do I make, because I saw the connection that we had. I saw the positives. How do I make sure that I win the next one? How do I make sure that I give them comfort to the next one, that I'm the good people to do that? How do I keep in touch? How do I just don't wait for the next one to pop up? Right? So I think that's the answer to it. I take more personally, but then again, you can act on it yourself. Don't depend on anybody to come, right? And that resilience is really important. That resilience is really important. 